Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cult Cinema Catacomb. This is our this is our eighteenth movie, actually. Eighteenth movie. We are. We can. Uh, we can uh, fight in wars now. Mm -hmm. This show can officially fight in wars. We can vote. We can fight in wars. But this, it's well. In some states, it's legal drinking age at eighteen. <laughs> can't buy a jewel. Nope. Can't buy a jewel yet. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we can't buy CBD oil yet either, but oh well. Nope, none of that CBD. None of that. <laughs> Although can't legally be a stripper. <laughs> and for our 18th movie, we're doing, I think this is probably our most mainstream movie we've done so far. Um, uh, I, yeah, also completely forgotten about. Yeah, because it is it is a Walt Disney picture, and they put a lot behind this movie when it came out. Um we're doing The Black Hole from 1979, which this year is um, turning, What that would be what, 40th anniversary this year for this movie? I believe it's 40th, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, this would be, I mean, I, I, I was trying to think if this would be our most mainstream one or if Maximum Overdrive was, but no, Maximum Overdrive was kind of a, well, it was an independently released Dino De Laurentiis movie. Well, it, I think that Maximum Overdrive is now, is now more more recognizable than Black Hole, mm -hmm. and um, because of the fact that it's hit that cult movie status, and you know um, Emilio Estevez and Yardley Smith, and all of them are willing to talk about it now, where mm -hmm. they wouldn't for so long. Oh yeah, because <laughs> it was such a black mark on their careers that I think now it's more mainstream. Because when when you said this to me, I hadn't thought about it in. God, a long time. Yeah. A long time. And, like, I got some weird muscle memory flashbacks of, like, uh, what Vincent and the other uh, the other robot, the, oh. the two, the cross-eyed little robot. Yes. Old Bob. Old Bob and Vincent. Slim Pickens, right? Yes. And, uh, Slim yeah. Pickens voiced Old Bob. Slim Pickens voiced Old Bob and Roddy McDowell voiced Vincent, and they were uncredited. Which, um, really? Yeah, which was probably smart for them in the long <laughs> run. <laughs> um, I don't know, because this was, I was shocked. I don't think I ever knew, uh, it never registered, especially as a kid, right? Um, because keep in mind, uh, in 79, Disney was important, but Disney wasn't what Disney is now. Oh yeah, like, this was a dark like, time for Disney. Like, Disney means something now like disney say, disney today means they own your ass yeah yeah but it's very you know people talk about disney owning you know marvel and people talk about disney owning you know all of these different you know entities and, and building the theme parks and putting out the movies and you know but back then you had your classics Right, mm -hmm. you you had your you had your Snow Whites and, and your Cinderellas and your um, Fox and the Hounds and your you know maybe not Fox and the Hound but uh, Robin Hoods and and those movies which I remember I remember Bambi in theaters you know I'm, I'm old enough to remember that oh yeah so um, am I I remember them reissuing like uh, in fact the first the first movie that I distinctively remember going to the theater to go see was a reissue of the Jungle Book. Oh really? No, yeah. I remember that scene in Bambi where uh, 
where Bambi's was it dad or mom gets shot. Oh, the mom. And I was like, oh shit, this is <laughs> this is for real. This shit got real. Yeah, that's that's trauma fuel for you there, definitely. <laughs> I was like, oh god. Well, keep in mind you've heard about my past history with movies, so mm-hmm. that compared to the fog and the thing ain't nothing, ain't no thing. So I'm like, <laughs> oh, this got real. <laughs> Steel shit happening right now. Um, but I don't think it ever clicked in my brain until you told me it's been so long since I thought about this movie that this is a Disney movie. Yeah, I mean, this was around the time when Disney. I mean, it had been almost a, a, pretty much a decade since Walt Disney died. Uh, it's been over a decade, and Disney was really struggling to find itself again. I mean, they had the success of the theme parks, and television specials were still going strong, and so were the reissues of the movies, but they really had no idea what to do when it came to new material. So, And this film does not change that. <laughs> no. Well, a lot of the shit that happened in that time period didn't change that. No, not until The Little Mermaid. <laughs> yeah. Not until they went, oh, wait. Let's go back to princesses. <laughs> it uh, works for us. Yeah. And lions. Animals and princesses. That's what works. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, they did have a couple of breakthrough animated films at this and during this time period uh, with the Rescuers. Um, Fox and the Hound. And the, when the Fox and the Hound. And um, also, well, I guess the Aristocats... But not as but not as strong as Robin Hood. Robin Hood really, oh, yeah. yeah. Robin Hood really latched on, especially to Generation X and Millennials and Furries. Um, that was, was you know just a big influence for them, which is interesting because a you lot heard of it fun- here first, folks. All Millennials are Furries. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. All of them. All <laughs> of you fucking Millennials. Take your beard fox mask off and go get a job. Get out of your mother's basement warren that you built for yourself out of thatch and mud and go get a job. I don't care whether your tail whacked by yourself. I don't care how many openings your suit has. I don't care. Get out of an elevator with me in it at all con because there's 17 of you. And let me tell you what that smells like and get a job. Roy said it. I didn't Rack say it. I didn't say it. I- I had commas. The catacombs that all millennials are first. There were commas there. There were commas. <laughs> but all millennials first. <laughs> but I mean, there was the thing. The thing with Robin Hood is so much, you know, animation that was you know recycled in that movie. So there's really not much originality going on with it. But something about that movie really latched on to a lot of people's imaginations. So. Animation was doing all right, nothing compared to what Disney had done in the past. But you know, it was it was going okay-ish. Uh, of course, there was a lot of turmoil going on at the studio as well with the old guard versus the new guard. Which there's a great documentary out there called "Waking Sleeping Beauty" that deals with that. I highly recommend seeking it out because it's a very interesting look at the dark times of the Walt Disney Studios. And, I mean, they had a couple of live-action hits here and there. Um, I, the, the Escape from Witch Mountain movies were huge hits. Oh, don't. That that was, that creeped me right out. Um, that is up there. I You know, my top three, that's in my top four scariest, like, childhood things was Escape from Witch Mountain, 
um, the salt vampire from the original Star Wars or Star Trek TV show. Uh-huh. Um, uh, all, all the hell, all full, full ass, all of Return to Oz, <laughs> and um, <laughs> that movie needs to go. No, that movie's pure nightmare fuel. It is. Yeah, we will never do it. I'm, I'm telling you right now, I don't care how much of a cult movie you tell me it is, that would never happen on this show. <laughs> Period. End of story. And, oh, what was the third one? Skeksis from the original Dark Crystal. Oh, yeah. Those four things right there ruined my childhood for ever sleeping with the light on. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, so Disney had, you know, the, the, they had those, um... The Herbie movies were doing huge. Yeah. Um, an unexpected hit came out of uh, the Apple Dumpling Gang and uh, Gus, the uh, football mule. But then, yeah. <laughs> That's the sentence you just said. <laughs> Gus the football mule. I mean, only in the 70s could, you know, you get Don Knotts and put him in a movie about a mule that plays football. Um <laughs> <laughs> but there was a lot of movies that Disney made that really just underwhelmed a lot um, and, and has become forgotten films. And this is probably one of the biggest ones because of what their intentions were behind the black hole. Uh, it, two years prior to the black hole coming out, a little independent movie named Star Wars was released. It'll go nowhere. Yeah, yeah movie went nowhere. No, uh, no it was nothing. And because of the phenomenal success of Star Wars, every studio wanted to rip it off. And did. And did. Hardcore. I mean, and right. how. And how. I mean, even Star Trek ripped it off with Star Trek the motion picture. Um, but I there was there was the Star Trek ripoff, there was um all the Roger Corman ripoffs. I mean, hell, even uh James Bond ripped it off with Moonraker. And so Disney said, we're going to make our own Star Wars. And this was said 40 years after, after, you know, before they purchased Star Wars. And they wanted the black hole to be their Star Wars. They put so much money into this film. I mean, at the time, it cost $20 million to make in 1979, which is a shit ton of money. And it bombed. Um, it made $35 million in the box office, so it kind of at least maybe made its money back, but that's not including the big-ass promotional push they made for The Black Hole. They were treating this as the biggest movie event of 1979, and it wasn't that. Um, <laughs> I, I remember this movie bombing gloriously in the box office, uh, despite all this, the uh, press that they put when it came to it. Um, and this was just one of those times where Disney's intentions may have been okay, but bombed and failed hardcore, especially since this was Disney's first PG-rated movie. Uh, which, See, which was huge back then because Walt Disney was not known for making anything no. above a G rating. Is there is there a part of this though that's also um, that's that's also because I remember it, you know, kind of being a little Planet of the Apes too. Uh, well, I mean that's probably because of Roddy McDowell. Um, <laughs> well, I mean because it starts Planet of the Apes where it's. 
you know, the difference between this and, and Star Wars is Star Wars starts in a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. This was this starts a little closer to home, and and Planet of the Apes was wildly popular when this came out as well. Oh, Planet, was, Planet of the about. Apes had, is, it was. I mean, even though it had been since the '60s, since the first movie came out, it was still huge. I mean, there was the, the movies were still doing strong in reruns, and uh, you know the TV show and the animated series and everything. Oh yeah, Planet of the Apes was gigantic. Um. But, I mean, with this one, it was, they really don't indicate as to what time period this film takes place in, because we've apparently got this whole lore of um, the ship that they discovered, the Cygnus, being lost for years, and... <laughs> it's uh, basically a PG-rated uh, event horizon. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that, because... Let me, let me interject. Yeah, because Chris, uh, Extrafer, producer Chris... Actually, read something very interesting online about this movie and Event Horizon. That basically, if you watch this and then Event Horizon, Event Horizon could be an unofficial sequel. Right. That's what it feels like. One hundred percent, what it feels like. I didn't like that film either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he hated Event Horizon. Thanks, I hate it. <laughs> but here's the thing: is is that Disney? I mean, looking back at December nineteen seventy nine. Um, the black hole, like I said, considering what it was and everything, I mean, back then $35 million is not bad for 1979, but when you count into the promotions that they did with it, cause I remember, I remember this, this is how old I'm aging myself self now. I remember all the promotion done for this film. Um, billboards all over the goddamn place, advertisement all over Disneyland, uh, toys galore out there, comic book adaptations. I remember they had this pop-out book that um, you would create your own mo mobile that you would hang in your bedroom recreating the black hole. Wow. Um, I created the black hole in my bedroom once. <laughs> <laughs> and just, I mean, all sorts of promotional material and even a push on the wonderful world of Disney for it. So, yeah, so much money was spent to push this film, and it bombed. And ironically, it was up against Star Trek The Motion Picture back in 1979. They were both released in December of 1979. And though, at the time, a lot of people didn't like Star Trek The Motion Picture, it still made $139 million. Highly right. underrated film. Yeah, I mean, I recommend everybody going back and rewatching Star Trek The Motion Picture because we did not give it a fair share, to be mm -hmm. honest with you, in 1979. Uh, but other films that it was up against that were gigantic hits of the era were Kramer versus Kramer. <laughs> sure. Uh, the Electric Horseman. Being There. Uh, the Jerk. Oh, but now you can't com you can't compete with the Jerk. And even though this was declared a horrible movie, it still made ninety five million dollars in the box office because of who directed it. Nineteen forty one from Steven Spielberg. Sure. So I mean, there was a lot of competition, but they still pushed the black hole out there, and they released it Christmas, but it gloriously bombed um, because people were still going to see Star Trek and Kramer versus Kramer and all those other movies, especially, you know, with the Oscar talk around Kramer versus Kramer. You know, Kramer versus Kramer is a fun family holiday film. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's a romp. <laughs> yes. Kramer, the, terms of endearment, 
Kramer, so that's what I go. That's what I'm into. Like, like that's what you take the family to. Yes, it's a feel-good holiday movie. You know, where you see divorce and a naked Karen Black, and they. Because she only had to wait ten years for Beaches. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> So, yeah, I mean, so that's the black hole. Um, <laughs> yes, and now you don't have to watch the movie. Yes, there you go. Um, but we're going to. So, I mean, other noteworthy things about the black hole that have to be has to be pointed out is that the black hole was also the first time that any type of a musical score was recorded digitally. Okay. So, I mean, it, 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 musical scores had never been recorded digitally uh, ever. And because, um, you know, Disney was so gung-ho with this movie, and they got John Barry to conduct the music, and you can tell. It is a great score. Because you can tell a John Barry score when you hear it. They're like, okay, we're going to do it digitally, which made people in Hollywood go, what? You know, when they heard that. And... I mean, on top of that, they got Industrial Lights and Magic, uh, but Industrial Lights and Magic said no because they were too busy doing um, special effects for Episode 5. So they invented a brand new camera system called the Automated Camera Effects System, or ACES, uh, in order to have the camera move on a matte painting under computer control in order to make the matte painting seem like it's actual real scenery. So that was invented. Interesting. For, yeah, so that was invented for this movie. Um, they, uh, the visual effects of the black hole itself was they formed a whirlpool and a round plexiglass water tank, added different colors of paint, and lit it up. Uh, the film contains over 550 visual effects shots, including over 150 matte paintings used in this movie, which was huge at that time. Right. Um, it was also the uh, almost all the dialogue on the film had to be re-recorded in post-production ADR because a lot of the dialogue was lost. Um, and the, uh, the, the green grid that appears in the trailer... That right. also is um, in the uh, opening credits of the movie. Believe it or not, it was designed by John Hughes. Really? Yeah. This Interesting. When he, when he was starting out in Hollywood. And by the way, looking here at trivia, I finally uh, have discovered the year that this is supposed to take place in. Okay. So we finally got a question answered. It's supposed to take place in the year 2130. All right. All right. So we're a little more... Okay. We're a little further out. Yeah. What about the cast? Okay, the cast is interesting with this movie because I mean, well, yeah, because at the time I mean, it wasn't like <laughs> <laughs> it was like sorry, that's funny because <laughs> it was like the cast is like has been yet not has been because we have uh, Maximilian Shell as the vil- as the villain, Doctor Reinhardt, and I at. The time Maximilian was still—I mean, not Maximilian, but um, yeah, Maximilian Shell was still a somebody at this point. Yeah. I mean, prior to making the Black Hole, I mean, he was still known for uh, films like Julia and A Bridge Too Far and uh, Assassination of Sarajevo. Those are the ones that come off of the top of my head. So he was still known as a renowned actor at the time. Uh, you also have Ernest Borgnine. In this movie. Sure you do. 
Of course you do. Which I mean, this was an interesting period for his career because he was making a lot of like B horror movies and stuff like that at this time. Uh, you had Anthony Perkins, who was still doing everything that he could to separate himself from Norman Bates. <laughs> um, How's that working out for you, Anthony? Yeah. <laughs> Um, you had Robert Forster, who did a lot of B movies. Also, his you know one of his biggest ones being Alligator, about you know the whole thing with alligators and the sewers and everything. Um, you had an actor who, at that point, was kind of a then unknown, um, but then uh, thanks to the Days of Our Lives, when he went on to go play uh, Carl Winters on there, everybody knew him at that point for Days of Our Lives. But prior to that, Joseph Bottoms was really not known for anything. And then you had an actress in this movie who I think was in the twilight of her career at this point, uh, Yvette Mimieu. Uh The only role that I personally know her for beyond this movie is The Time Machine. I, I don't know her for anything else. I thought she was in The Monkey's Uncle. No, that's Annette Funicello. <laughs> now, we saw a trailer at the Alamo for a monkey movie that had her in it. I, I can't remember, to be honest with you, but it was... Try. Um, let's <laughs> work on that. Work on that. Get back to me. I can't remember, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, Yvette Minmew, uh like I said, the only thing that I really remember her from is the time machine when she played Weena. But other than that, that's really it uh so that's that's pretty much our cast there with this film well it's only mixed it's only missing uh max balzino <laughs> really round out this cast yeah really um and i mean when, when other things that we're going to need to you know address here and we'll address it more after we start with the film as well is this film is i if, 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 from what i remember has one of the most confusing endings in cinema history because it was, I remember just, just this simple science fiction movie. And then all of a sudden the director decided to say, you know what? Stanley Kubrick's ending to 2001 yeah. makes too much sense. Let's do this. Event menu was in Disney's monkeys go home. <laughs> Thank you. Producer Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Who has a producer? That's how you do it. That, that's how a producer works. So, he listeners, Mark, a problem <laughs> and then solves his own problem, ladies and gentlemen. So, listeners, if you had monkeys go home on your bingo cards, you can scratch it off right there. Let me tell you something. Bitches get shit. <laughs> Bitches uh, figure out monkey movies. That's a lesson we've all learned today. Yeah. But anyway, back back to the ending of this movie. Um, the, yeah, the, movie, the 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 ending to this movie is is known for being extremely confusing. I got I get it now. Um, now that I've, I've that, you know the, I remember the last time seeing the movie, I got what was going on. But we'll talk more about the ending, and we'll also talk about the alternate ending uh, in the second half. But it is for what's going on in this movie. It all of a sudden is like. Well, it's like Mr. Toad's Wild Ride at Disneyland, where you have this happy, fun, frothy ride, and suddenly you go to hell. Well, sure. Literally. <laughs> because that's what, that was, here's the thing, that's what was hot back then. <laughs> you, you, you carry along like nothing's going on, and then in the end, you're like, this makes too much sense. Let's, uh, let's really just confuse the hell out of everybody. 
you know, the kids have already lost interest in this. So <laughs> let's just let's just really take it off the rails. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. And it really does go off the rails. This movie, boy, does it go off the rails. Um, I, I that I do remember. Uh, so are you ready to to watch this movie for the first time in years? I mean, sure. It's been 30 years. I have to remember everything, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're going to go ahead and um, dive into uh, what Disney wanted to have be its version of Star Wars before they decided to buy Star Wars. And we will be right back with um, our opinions on this movie after seeing it for God knows how many years. So hell yeah, <laughs> here we go, folks. We're diving into the black hole. There is an inexorable force in the cosmos where time and space converge. A place beyond man's vision, but not his reach. It is the most mysterious and awesome point in the universe where the here and now may be forever. It is unavoidable. Moving through space, swallowing everything in its path. Radio waves, light, even planets and stars. Are you programmed to speak? Gravity's at maximum, Dan. seriously just happened um and, and and when i say that that seriously just happened i i'm referring to the ending we just witnessed with this movie but before we get to the ending uh to this film let's 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 look at what actually worked with this film uh, let me let me tell you what worked for me is this afternoon i went and saw a movie called ready or not and it was great Oh yeah, great film. Love Ready yeah, or Not. That's what worked for me. And then I came home and watched this piece of hot Disney garbage. <laughs> Did not. Did not work for me. Um, the the Ernest Fortnite just really wanted this movie to work. Do you mean you're not a fan of Walt Disney's Deep Space Nine? <laughs> I, uh, by the way, I am 100% on board. 100% on board with with Extrafer, with with producer Chris's postulation that this is a prequel to Event Horizon, one hundred percent. Oh yeah, definitely. No question in my mind that that's what this is. <laughs> um, things that if I if there's things that I like about the movie, I did like the design of the ship, the Cygnus. Um, I think it was a very the well sickness. the Cygnus. Yeah, are you down with the Cygnus? We're down with the Cygnus. <laughs> 
Um, I like the design of the ship. I think it was just wasted in this movie. They 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 created this great looking you know ship, and it was just wasted. You know what else was wasted in this movie? Everything. Film. Yeah. Celluloid. Yeah. Celluloid. Um, the other thing that I mean, even though the characters could get on your nerves, the other things I liked was the floating effects for the robots because you really couldn't see the strings. Even I mean, I don't know how clear your print was online, but with the, I still can't believe Disney restored this on Blu-ray. Well, I, I rented it in HD from Amazon Prime. Okay. Were you able to see so, strings at all? No. Yeah. No. Great. Those were actually, I mean, the characters are kind of, especially the um, uh, Vincent, who for some reason only spoke in Buddhism. Like, God damn it. <laughs> phrases. Colloquialisms and <laughs> aphorisms and... God, I wanted to punch him right in his stupid face. And for old, sure. And old Bob was just Pat Buttram. Um, I, he was he was literally an extra from Blazing Saddles 2099. Yeah, basically, he just walked off of the set of Green Acres and said, "I'll just play the character I've been playing, <laughs> only as a robot." Uh, and that said, though, the flying effects for them and also for Maximilian were very well done because you could never see strings; you couldn't tell how it was being done. I th those did impress me, and so did the matte paintings. I thought that the matte paintings were very well done because um, there were some matte paintings that were done in the movie that actually looked like sets. So I, I have to comment on the special effects in this movie. Does it feel like special effects wise they shot this in real time? We'll get to that because, in a minute because the effects got worse. <laughs> we'll get to, we'll get to that. Don't worry. We're talking about the things that are good okay, right okay. now. Okay. So, but ironically, that Here, but here's my argument, and we've made this argument before, right? And I've heard this argument before. We tend to compare everything after 1977 to Star Wars. Yes. Right. We we tend to compare everything that is every sci-fi, whatever it is that comes out post. 77 up to, you know, uh, let's say the Matrix. Let's say something at, at which the tipping point in, in computer-generated graphics goes to, you know, cre hits an event horizon, no pun intended, yeah. which is is over the top and can no longer be ignored. Not lawnmower man, man style. You know well, what I mean? Well, I guess so in that case it would be... I guess in that case it would be what? like from... Spy I guess from that case then it would be from Star Wars... To Terminator 2 to The Matrix. Yeah, yeah. Terminator 2, yeah, I would agree with that 100%. Is it fair to compare anything that we see effects-wise to Star Wars? Because in my mind, it's not. Because Star Wars is the apex of physical effects. Yeah. Sci-fi effects. Like, it, you can't... You can't... come. Everything that came after tried to do what Star Wars did. This movie did a decent job. Decent job. Up to a point. <laughs> up to a, it did a decent job up to the point, but to well, instead but, of a, instead of a uh, rogue carpenter that they decided to cast in the part of the uh, of the Robin Hood character, they got <laughs> Ernest Evan Borden. So that's the point. All right. I, I mean, it, I mean, the film. I mean, I mean, when it comes to the special effects for this film, and like I said, we'll go into the special effects deeper a little bit later because there's one effect shot that I have to address. Um. I the um the special effects for this is like taking the special effects that uh, Industrial Lights and Magic created 
for Star Wars and then having Denny's interpret it. <laughs> okay. Okay. That like would... Roger Corman, you have ILM for the actor. <laughs> so that would be my comparison. And that's actually the end of everything that I thought was good <laughs> about it. the movie. That's it. Everything else on this movie just, I mean, it had such potential because the, the, the it, it is definitely in three acts. The first act, even though for me it was boggled in not only, you know, just melodrama on top of melodrama, but... I basically Stephen Hawking's would have had a conniption fit oh, God. with yeah. all of their postulization on what a black hole is. Hawking would have stroked out. Yeah, oh. he would have stroked out. Oh, too soon. Um, uh, so here's so I do have one other thing that I really enjoyed, and it's a love hate relationship that I have, but I 100 percent cannot get enough of over the top arch bill like like arch and in, in villainy. So, like, oh, he was I'm not a it. huge fan of, like, the Harry Potter stuff. I'm just not. Don't at me. But I will watch either A, Voldemort, or B, Snape all day, mm. right? Just because, like, the smash cuts in their faces and, like, you know, the raised eyebrows and the, and the clawed hands and all that. Like, that shit for me, all night. I'll watch it. That's great. Maximilian Snell did a great arch villain. Oh, he like, he just, hammed it up in this role. Yes, and I'll love that until the day I die. And what's great but, is he doesn't appear until the first 20 minutes of the movie. So wait, I, I do have a question since we're getting into the stuff that really bothered us about he, this he film. Is this the, he has the top billing in this movie. Maximilian Schnell is the top billed actor over Anthony Perkins, over Ernest Borgnine, over Yvette Mimio, over everybody. And the first 20 minutes of the movie... Is postulization on supposed black hole facts and them trying to figure out how zero gravity is existing around this ship. But his entrance was fabulous. But oh god. It was. Yes. It was fabulous. His, his, I, have, his, I have an initial. It was so, it was so good before they the movie starts, I have a problem. Go ahead, Chris. I'm it, sorry. It, I didn't mean was, to cut you up. His, his entrance was so fabulous, they mentioned it in, within the movie. Yeah, Ernest Borgnine's like, you've always had a flair for the theatrical. <laughs> they had to. <laughs> that had to be ad-libbed. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was such... It was like... The only thing that was missing was when he turned around for him to go, Hello, Mr. Bond. That's all right. that was missing. No, so I don't know about your, um, your Blu-ray. But I rented it fair and square in HD from Amazon Prime. Yeah. Okay. The Way first not intended. <laughs> the first five minutes of this were the score, the theme score. You know, the the title theme for the movie just over a black screen. Oh, so you got the roadshow version of it. See on the oh. uh, see on the Blu-ray, it did not see the black hole was the last movie ever made to have an overture play while people walked into the theater waiting for the movie to begin. Okay, so that, but I, but this was, yeah, okay, okay, whatever. I was not walking into a theater. I was sitting <laughs> on the couch after renting something. Should I have walked across the house Sure, and walked back in? Yeah, that was your, that was your time to go quickly grab some popcorn and come back to your seat and enjoy John Barry's repetitive music over and over and over again oh, um, until you, two tracks. Yeah, <laughs> until you get to um, 
the opening credit sequence that basically was Escape from New York in space. Right, you got a lot of ADR like a print printed on screen during that. Also, our introduction to Anthony Perkins was within the next hour and a half. This man is going to try to have sex with something. Oh God! Okay, here's what kills me with Anthony Perkins in this movie, and just with Anthony Perkins in general. The man never came out of the closet, but it was so not a secret about his homosexuality. He didn't have to. He didn't have to. I mean, he had an affair with Tab Hunter, and I mean, it's one thing to tell that he's gay in the Psycho movies. In this movie, he should have had just "I'm coming out" playing behind him every time he was in the screen <laughs> on the screen, and the the way he was just making love to Maximilian Schnell with his eyes. Oh in my this movie, god. He, he was just, like, just, he was ready to just bend over and take it. He really was. Yeah, it was it was something. <laughs> it was really something. He, um, he was just like, oh, Maxine, shall I condition your beard for you? Do you, what, do you, do you need your nails done? Can I, can I kiss you? You know, I, that's exactly how he was acting in this whole film. The entire time. And then you got Ernest Borgnine over there... Just, um... Well, Ernest Borgnine <laughs> should have the Three Stooges running off screens sound playing behind him at all times. Because there was never a time when he didn't leave the set that I didn't want to go, whoop, 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 because that's what he was doing every time. He yeah. just... Did he actually walk in this movie? Or was it always just him doing that, that the, the curly shuffle run? I mean... I played a Mr. Bean ping pong machine, or pinball <laughs> machine once, that basically emulated his style of movement in this film. <laughs> and, then, and then you've got the, the main three. Robert Forrester, Timothy Bottoms, and Yvette Menmu. You got Barracuda. Um. <laughs> you got Barracuda, Jackie Brown. You, you, you got the woman with the hair that wouldn't move, which was so convenient since they were in anti-gravity. Right. And then right. you got the... Uh, the poor man's Hardy Boys, basically... Uh, well, there was okay. So Act One was pretty cut and dry. You know what I would imagine a Disney space drama for kids would be. Yeah, right. You got these robots shooting at robots occasionally. You got this ship in a black hole. You got this, you know, this crew that found it, and they're talking about the black hole. Okay, cool. You know, up to that point, it's fine. Mm -hmm. Act Two gets get starts getting wild, and people start at, and then at the beginning of Act Three. It's like everybody just went banana crackers. Yeah. Gorilla Trist gets insane. <laughs> because you yeah. got um, you got your boy um, you, you got your uh, Cub Scout over here uh, doing like cowboy shoot 'em ups, like like from behind, like oh Star, <laughs> the robot Star, yes. Well, robot, that whole thing. Why didn't you just send Vincent in to handle everything? <laughs> If nobody can outshoot that little bitch, why didn't you just send him in? Yeah. God, that that whole scene with the... I, I will admit that there was a line there that made me crack up, and that's when they were going to go have dinner with uh, Hans Reinhardt, the villain. 
and when Robert Forster's character said it's only dinner, and then Vincent, just as sassy as he could be, responded with saying, send the spider to the fly. I right. That was a great line. I loved that line. I was like, damn, that's some sass right there. That was a good line. That was a good line. But, I mean, that whole sequence of the, um, the robot shooting gallery... I'm sitting there and I'm like, is this Flynn's arcade in space? What is this? Well, this whole movie was crawling. It's like a baby's toy. (laughs) And and, and this this is one of the big plot holes that... There's a lot of plot holes in this movie. There's a lot of holes. There's a lot of holes in this movie, period. But this was one of them that came up. Because earlier in the movie, when they boarded the ship, Vincent's lasers were disabled. Yet somehow they worked when he went into this arcade game. But when he left the arcade game, he had to have old Bob repair his lasers. Yeah, I don't... I don't it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, let's just be real. It doesn't matter. Um, and then this film also has the biggest plot convenience I've ever seen in my entire life. How do you get communication done in situations <laughs> where people are separated? Oh, let's have Yvette Mimu's character able to speak to Vincent the Robot through ESP. She's yeah, that makes no sense. She's a fucking... She's fucking Troy. <laughs> you know? And it makes absolutely no sense. We're, we're to believe that apparently in the future... People are trained to have ESP communications with robots. With robots. Because apparently that's also how um, Maximilian the robot communicates with Hans Reinhardt. Because Ron Reinhardt, Ron, he understands what he's doing and his inflictions and actions. So I guess this is commonplace in the future. Yeah, it makes no sense. No sense. None. God, what point did Star did Star appear in this movie outside of that game, that no, arcade game? That was the only scene. He was only there for that scene, and that's it. That makes no sense. No. He's, you know, the, he's the Captain Phasma of Star Wars. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what else doesn't make sense in this movie? What also doesn't make sense in this movie is, and this is this is one of the uh, the biggest issues I had with this film, is is that gravity and space and air and the ability <laughs> to breathe. I there, there's a scene where there's three of them. Well, yeah, there's a lot of scenes where things happen to the ship that should have sucked. Everything out of the ship. Now I understand that this that the, the the Cygnus had this gravity thing. He developed this anti gravity force to help him, you know, keep the Cygnus at bay with the black hole. Okay, fine. But still, when I don't think that that force was strong enough to when something collides into the ship and exposes a patch of the ship, that it doesn't cause the vacuum of space to suddenly do its job. And so, you know, if if the force field can cure that. That's fine and dandy. But then we have this scene where the battle happens in uh, the indoor like set of the Jungle Voyage from the Disney cruise at Disneyland. 
And then suddenly a meteorite rips open the no. roof, and then the no. vacuum of space happens. And I'm like, wait a minute. Why hold is on, this room on. so special? Full stop for a second. <laughs> I have to bring, since you brought it up, surprise meteor shower? No foreshadowing. Just, oh, meteor shower. Yeah. <laughs> Just, oh, we're being pummeled right now by a meteor shower. No alarm. No warnings. No. Just, oh, fiery meteors. Yeah, fiery. Yeah, speak. Yeah. So we'll get to that also after I'm done with this rant here. So for some reason, the laws and physics of space works inside this planetarium or this atrium, whatever thing it is. But the rest of the ship, it don't matter. They're able to breathe in outer space. There's no vacuum. There's no freezing. No nothing. Right. So, okay, fine. Um, what else? What, what, what else? What else? Yeah, I, I do want to say this about uh, Maximilian Schnell in this movie. Is that every time he makes an appearance, almost, almost every time he makes an appearance, right? It's like a jump scare <laughs> smash cut. Where it's just like uh, the, everybody's huddled around, like con, you know, being conspiratorial, and then you cut just like bam, and it's just a full shot of Max of of, of, of Maximilian Schnell's face. Just what are you doing? Just like oh god, you, damn it, man! You, you expect to hear the music go wee hee with the violins or something? Yeah, just like oh god, why? Where were you? <laughs> just, oh oh, there you're here. Shit, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. right, go on. I just wanted to make sure that I got to mention that shit. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that that was every entrance that happened. And oh, shit. Then, I've got to mention also um, the musical score for this movie. Now, 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 John Barry is, he's a good conductor. I mean, you can definitely recognize John Barry's music when you hear it. But there was no creativity in this musical score whatsoever. It was like, just, let's, okay, that sounds great. We'll use it for this scene, but it doesn't match the action. I don't care. It sounds good. Sky skate to one song and one song only. Yes. <laughs> and it's this. I mean, it just, it, it, I mean, it just, it made no, that made no sense. Well, the score was nice, but he used the wrong score pieces during the wrong scenes. Yeah. That was a music editing issue, because the big triumphant fanfare was done during the battle, but there was no actual battle music. Oh, you mean, the, you mean the battle where all the robots are conveniently lined up like target practice on the bridge yeah. for everybody then, to shoot? And then the dramatic, overbearing, oh my god, we're getting more in trouble music was done over the, over the lighthearted and stuff. Yeah. It's like, what? No, this is not right. Who did this, Tommy? <laughs> and let's talk about those those troopers. The their their versions of the stormtroopers that um, apparently had, um, especially as we discovered during the shootout scene, emotions. I mean, th these were not like the humanoid robots that we learned you know later on in the movie. You know, spoiler alert. Um, but the scene when. They're in there, and, and Vincent challenges Star. I remember them cutting to one of the robots, and one of the robots did like this, huh, shrug. But instead <laughs> of moving his shoulders to do the shrug, he did like a, a heel lift to emulate he was doing a shoulder shrug. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going, really? 
That's your shoulder shrug. Okay. Can you can can we talk about the the reveal? So the whole thing is they find this abandoned ship that's been populated by robots that they've been looking for because uh, what's her what's her teeth's dad was on the ship. Yeah, that so they find father, this abandoned yeah. ship, right? Populated by these robots, and the only living person on the ship is Maximilian Schnell, and it's this it's this great um, work of science and progress that all these robots are, are, are on this and, and everybody's kind of you know, taken by this idea. And then we find out <laughs> through ESP <laughs> that, that these aren't robots. These are dead ass people. Yeah. These are zombies. Basically he, he, yeah, yeah he's created, he's created, he, t- he took the crew zombieized them Gave them, like, the world's most uncomfortable-looking contact lenses I've ever seen, I've got to mention, uh, with their eyes. But, yeah, dressed them up, basically, as robots. He claims that this is the only way he could have saved them. So, but, yeah, apparently he did this by putting them in the hospital, which is this big, giant laser lobotomizer. Uh, right. And, and, yeah, basically turned them into zombies, I I mean that that is a dark twisted reveal for a kids film. Yeah, if, this is a child's film. That's a dark twisted reveal for a child's film and if that wasn't enough they go and kill Anthony Perkins and not just kill Anthony Perkins as you quaintly put it in the text he popped like a Pringles jar when he died. Which I think is a great analogy because of all the papers that went flying out of nowhere when he got drilled by Maximilian. I mean, he wanted to get drilled by Maximilian, and he sort of did. Uh, Just the wrong Maximilian. He held out this notebook in front of him like that was going to be some protection against this insane robot with this drill hand, like this flailing drill hand. No, didn't happen that way. Yeah, and he basically is eviscerated like a frog in a ninja blender. And his tongue's going all over the place. <laughs> I can't. I wish this was a visual podcast just once. <laughs> and then he, you know, goes falling into the electrical things, and then uh, and then Hans Reinhardt's like, "You shouldn't have killed him. He was a great man. Protect me from Maximilian." And <laughs> and producer Chris at that point went, "From what?" Yeah, (laughs) that's what Lacey was like. Is that a throwaway line? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) what? what? I thought Hans was in charge of this whole thing. Yeah, I I was just like, yeah, that line just seems out of place. And of course, that's when Act Three begins, and that's when everything you know just—if you thought what was happening in Act Two was crazy, oh God, no! I mean, we had we have Yvette and Mew being rescued. Uh, after almost being lobotomized, wearing tin foil on our head, I we get the we get the scene with the with the big shootout where uh, where uh, I, I is that is that bottoms? Yes, does, does he play the Boy Scout where he he um, yippee kaye's his way into it? No foreshadowing to the fact that this guy's like a badass with a blaster shoots like seven or eight robots like. Like old west gunfighter style, complete with a yeehaw. Yeah, yes, that scene. That is the scene I'm talking about. We're just like, blah, 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 blah. just like, what the hell was that? And then that's the same scene that Ernest Borgnine's like, I think I've 
broke my leg. Yeah, bullshit. And he just takes off like whoop, 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 just running off. Takes off the ship. The ship's about to crash into the Cygnus. The Cygnus shoots the ship, but it crashes into the Cygnus anyway. And so it, the, it starts having structural integrity issues because of this. And if that wasn't enough, here comes the fucking meteors. And, <laughs> right? And not just meteors, but it basically looked like the blob gave birth in outer space. And these were the babies floating away. And when the, the big giant, oh my God moment, the Indiana Jones moment uh, happens... When the meteor goes crashing through and starts rolling down the hallway, which honestly should have just completely destroyed the Cygnus, but it didn't. It's rolling down, and of course our three heroes fall and realize it's coming, and they run away. As it gets closer to the screen, in high definition, you can realize that it's just this plastic reason ball with red Christmas lights in it, lit up. <laughs> Just being moved on a string all the way down the corridor. And I'm like, this is the part where producer Chris was like, oh, they must have run out of money on the budget for special effects. Because after all of this fuss to make these robots look like they're flying and to make the Cygnus look like it's in space and the effects that they did on the black hole, you have this shitty meteor that looks like some sort of a rejected decoration you for Christmas you buy at Big Lots. They waste a good can of cheesy poops. <laughs> yes. Just rolling down. It, it, it was the flaming hot Cheeto ball from hell coming towards them. Oh, God. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. <laughs> oh, no, it gets better. Oh, no, it gets w much more wild. So we have the shootout in the garden, which they suddenly remember, oh yeah, we're in space, and so they have that rescue mission happen. Everything starts falling apart um, because they realize that they, if they get to the probe ship, they can escape and safety and blah, 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 blah. And um, Hans Reinhardt tells Maximilian to go get the probe ship ready also because he realizes the ship's falling apart. And just as Maximilian's going away in the elevator... The Trinitron falls down on top <laughs> of Hans Reinhardt, <laughs> squashing him. Listen, that is that that is the the possible uh, downfall of any time there's a kiss cam. So we got to be real careful about having kiss cams at uh, sporting events because you can end up like Matt Snell. <laughs> he's laying there, and I mean we <laughs> we had. To put on the subtitles while watching it because, I mean, he's he's screaming at the lobotomized robots to help him and to listen to him. But it doesn't sound like he's saying, listen to me. It sounds like he's saying, listen to me. Listen to me. And we're like, what is he saying? And so the, the subtitles say, listen to me. But that's not what it sounds like he's saying. Like, I'm sorry, excuse me? <laughs> but it doesn't end there. No, God, it doesn't. It certainly doesn't, because at this point they all get outside of the ship where they can all breathe and just float around regardless of the uh, immense pull yeah, uh, of well, a black hole. I, I, I guess, in theory, black holes generate their own oxygen, so I guess that's Ooh, what was theory. going on. <laughs> Disney's theory, I all guess. Right. But we have one final confrontation. We have, we have I mean... I love the foreshadowing, the the like not so subtle foreshadowings that happen in this movie. One with the flippant comment about 
when they look at the black hole, how Timothy Bottoms is expecting to see a guy with horns and glowing yeah, eyes. Yeah. And then when Hans Reinhardt compares the meeting of Vincent and Maximilian to um, David and Goliath, because we do have a David and Goliath battle at the end uh, between the two of them, which during the battle when um, he's electrocuting Vincent and Vincent gets that, like, <laughs> like Sailor Moon goofy look on his face. Yes, where he goes yes. cross-eyed, you're expecting to hear when his head's spinning around. And how and how how does he defeat him? He penetrates him. Yeah, he becomes he goes into him. <laughs> he, he like pulls out his robot dick and his R2D2 robot dick. And drills a hole into Maximilian and poof, instant death. I was like, if that's all it took, why didn't you do that to begin with? <laughs> well, there's a lot of, if that's all it took, why didn't you do that to begin with in this movie? <laughs> but it doesn't end there. Um, the, the, you know, they, uh, they managed to get on board the, um, the, the space probe without first watching Timothy Buttons almost float into the black hole. And somehow Vincent has great Vincent enough... just goes and gets him. Just like, I'm gonna get you! And then he goes out there and gets him and brings him back. And I'm like... He has incredible thrust... He has great thruster power to do that. I guess. They can't get a ship out of there, but Vincent's gonna take his happy little ass out there. They get into the probe ship, they launch it, and suddenly they realize that the probe ship has been pre-programmed to fly into the black hole. So right. they're facing their own doom at this they, point. Wait, but that, that makes me... that Okay, so that brings up a point that I wanted to bring up, which was the first half of this film, everybody is batshit crazy like anxiety at a hundred super high key right <clears throat> like yes. what the hell's going on here we found a ship we got to get on the ship we don't know what's going on scan it the lights are on oh god what's happening robots are everywhere what's this big red robot oh i see you meet the goon squad like everybody's like super keyed up the third act of this everybody is super calm Oh yeah, the entire the, time, like they're on the ship, and Barracuda is like, "Ah, guess we're going into the black hole." And everybody's like, "All right." <laughs> I'm like, "What is happening? Why is anybody screaming and pulling their hair out?" Like, yeah, they're totally chill with it. I mean, it's just like Timothy, Timothy, <laughs> Timothy Button's like, "You mean we're going into the black hole?" And Robert Forster's like, "Yep." And, <laughs> and everybody's like, "Cool." And then you bet me, was like, "Oh, let's just pray he was a genius." <laughs> and then they enter the black hole and as you quaintly put it <laughs> tell them what you told me I can't <laughs> I'm trying to remember hold on we, we Roy and I live tweet each other this it was something about, it was something about Missy Elliott oh yeah yeah when they're entering the black hole the camera is spinning like like vertically and then they're just doing smash cuts of people's faces and their hands are over their faces and i said this is the this is the best missy elliott video i've ever seen this is from her new album because it looks straight up like i was expecting her to come in in an inflatable suit and just be like beep beep 
Super Who got Duper. the keys to the Jeep and Barracuda to be like, vroom. <laughs> Super Duper Fly. That's the way it felt the whole time. And then, yeah. and then they, they suddenly get blasted in bright light. We get this weird moray into Yvette Mimu's eyes. And then suddenly, here comes Hans Reinhardt looking like Rasputin. Uh, oh yeah with the hair <laughs> with the hair I, I love one person made a comment online saying so apparently when you enter hell you become Rastafarian and yeah, he had fantastic hair because <laughs> he had he, he he apparently used herbal essence before this shot this was this was an hour and a half herbal essence commercial <laughs> right up to that point and that's where the that's where it is. So he comes floating up, and him and the robot Maximilian meet. Face to face. Face to face. They're about to like kiss. a couple of silver spoons. Yes. And then suddenly, he's inside the, literally inside the body of Maximilian. And we slowly- you see the eyes. We see the eyes. We discover that they've become one. We slowly start panning away, at panning out to realize they're in hell. Literally in hell, and his hell is because he turned humans into robots. He himself is now trapped in a robot shell. But he's the king of robot hell. Yes, he's now the king because he's standing on the pillar with, above all the flames, and you see all the minions of hell like walking around him and like worshiping him like some sort of deity. And it, like it is like literally the most slowest crane shot over the landscape of hell I've ever seen. It's, it's like they lit stuff on fire and the director said, I'm going to film the shit out of this fire. <laughs> and, and there he is on this like plateau of volcanic rock standing above all the lines of, you know, hybrid robot men just in this metal Maximilian body backlit, like, like a scene from Last Temptation of Christ, <laughs> or or a flashback in The Exorcist. <laughs> I mean, at this point, I mean, when um, this scene happens, I mean, I mean, there was some dark stuff that had happened prior to this, but then. When the movie literally goes to hell and the way everything's being played out and everything, at this point you begin to wonder whether or not this scene was guest directed by Ken Russell or something. <laughs> Be because it just literally goes, what the ever-living fuck is going on? Like to the point where I wrote you, because we, you had mentioned to me that they go to hell, I thought that you were talking... Uh, essentially metaphorically. No. I was like, are they literally in hell? And you're just like, yes. Yeah. Yes, they are. And then suddenly this like angelic stained glass Sistine Chapel like tunnel appears and we start flying through it and then an angel goes flying through it and and according to the director of this movie, this is supposed to be, I, find, I thought I'd always, I thought, I thought that this was supposed to be an angel guiding them out of hell since they weren't supposed to be there. No. According to the director, that is Yvette Mimu's character using her ESP to send out God a ghost it. projection of herself to, to guide the ship out of hell into safety. And I'm like, I don't really? like any of this. <laughs> I'm like, really? 
Really? Really? That's your explanation? Well, where's the angel guiding me out of this movie? <laughs> well, that's essentially what it does. Yeah, because they end up at the end of the movie, and it's unclear as to whether or not, uh, when they get out of the black hole, if the bright light that they're flying to is supposed to be heaven, or if it's a new universe. It's very ambiguous. It Basically, it's, it, it's the director trying to be Stanley Kubrick and failing hardcore, and it's left with a very ambiguous ending as to what exactly just happened in the black hole. Except right. for the fact that we literally, it literally became a gateway to hell. And then late years later in the 90s, out comes Event Horizon, and we find out that the black hole is a portal to hell. So there you go. Sister movies right there. I mean, black hole and Event Horizon. There you go. I believe it to be true. Yeah, it's a- I believe that is I, at least I, I want to say like somebody needs this. Who directed Event Horizon? Um, was, I like, think it was Ridley W.S. Ander- I think it was W.S. Anderson who directed Event Horizon. Let me check somebody here. Needs to ask him. Um, He'll ask like like in an interview. Say, listen. Yeah, Paul W.S. Anderson directed Paul, Event. Okay, yeah. Paul W.S. Anderson. Um, somebody needs to sit down and ask him about this. Because it's too, it's too close. Yeah, it really like, is. Not like, I, and I'm not saying that they share a universe, but like, did you watch? Did you enjoy this movie as a child? Is this an influence for you? <laughs> like, this movie it, inspired it, him to so go on to make films like Resident Evil and Event right. Horizon. <laughs> <laughs> like, does this destroy you as a human being? And thusly, you had to make this to escape it. Now someone else will have to make another one 20 years from now in order to escape the cycle. <laughs> oh, damn. This was a whole thing. Now, here's the thing, though. This was not the original ending. Mm. The- Why not? Oh, hang on. Hold on. I want to say this real quick. Okay. I'm looking at the synopsis for Event Horizon. There may not be an actual, you know, in-universe sequel. But sure. Event Horizon is actually a remake. Set in 2047, it follows a crew of astronauts set on a rescue mission after a missing spaceship. The Event Horizon spontaneously appears in orbit around Neptune. Searching the ship for signs of life, the rescue crew learns the Event Horizon was a test bed for an experimental engine that opened a rift in the space-time continuum. It's a remake. Oh my god. It's a remake of, of, of Black Hole. He, he ripped off the Black Hole to make the movie. But there you go. But I mean, that's obvious. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I just had a little bit. Wow. So anyway, the original there are two things on this episode first. Number one, this the black hole Paul W.S. Anderson ripped off the black hole to make a mid horizon. Number two, Roy thinks all millennials are furry. No, I don't! God damn it! Direct all of your letters to Roy at <laughs> Cult Cinema. Ah, no, I don't. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Um, the director of this movie, his name is Gary Nelson. Um, by the way, he directed a lot of stuff for the magical world of Disney, directed a lot of television. Uh, he, he directed Police Story. He directed the Get Smart. Yeah, he directed episodes of Police Story. He directed episodes of Get of uh, the Magical World of Disney. He directed the Get Smart Reunion movie. Um, and he also directed... Um, the, uh, the the movie Alan Quartermain and the Lost City of Gold. 
Really? Uh, yes. Um, All right. So he actually originally, in his ending, wanted to go deeper, absolutely deeper. Um, and Disney told him no. the The ending was just way too way too vague, way too out there. <laughs> Um, now, wait, the uh, the other ending was way too vague and out there? Yeah, so instead we went with Trip to Hell. Here's what the original ending was going to be. In the original ending, when they enter into the black hole and everybody starts spinning around and everything, they were actually going to start like doing double image and quadruple image of everybody and they were like they were like all of a sudden dissipating from their bodies and everything. And all this light was going to be swirling all over the place. And then suddenly this giant blast of white light. And after the giant blast of white light happens, we start seeing planets floating in space. And then the planet starts zooming by at a great speed until all of a sudden from the planets, it goes to galaxies. And from galaxies, it goes to universes and everything until suddenly we're pulling through the eyeball of Yvette Mimu's character, and we pull away from her face to suddenly realize that her face is one of the angels in the painting of the birth of Adam on the Sistine Chapel. Oh, for the love of God! Oh, it gets better. After that reveal happens, we slowly pan down to the floor to see Yvette Mimu's character staring up at herself in the painting in the Sistine Chapel. And and the movie ends right there. I would have loved, loved to have seen that. And that's where... Why couldn't I have seen that? That's where the movie ends. Disney said, no, too vague. And so instead we got the ending that we got. And I'm like... Reading this original ending, I'm going, oh my god, that is more batshit insane than what we got. I, I think it probably would have made the movie a little more notorious than, you know, sending the ship to hell, like what happened in the black hole. I mean, that's a notorious ending already. But maybe it would have been a little more remembered on its 40th anniversary than it is right now if that ending would have happened with the with the even more hitting you over the head with the religious allegory than going to hell did. Listen, I would I would have loved to have seen that. I would have loved to have seen that ending. The ending we got was batshit crazy. But I would have loved to have seen that ending to this thing. 100%. Oh, yeah. Easily. So overall, would you recommend people revisiting the black hole on its 40th anniversary? You know, I would. I would. And I know that that's, I, I know that I've dogged it a lot, but it is a wild ass movie. It is. It isn't, it isn't bad. It's not a bad film. You know, it's just it, wild. It's a movie that made some poor decisions is what it is. Yeah I'll, yeah, I'll go with that. Yeah, it's a movie that made some poor decisions, but it's definitely worth checking out if you've never seen it. Um, just to see what Disney was trying to do to make a family-friendly ripoff of Star Wars um, and failing hardcore with, with this movie. I mean, the thing is, is Disney went on to direct two intentional horror movies, um, the the Watcher in the Woods and something uh, and something Wicked This Way Comes, which I actually love. I think Something Wicked This Way Comes is an underrated movie. But honestly, looking at those two films versus The Black Hole, 
on a child's point of view, I think the black hole is more terrifying than those two films. Well, I don't know if I would get it. Maybe, I mean, that's the thing. Like, I saw this movie as a kid, and I didn't see any of what I saw today. No, I know I didn't get the ending as a kid. I absolutely did not. That I remember. I remember being confused at the ending. And uh, all I remembered was, oh, funny, cute, flying robots. Right. That's all I remember. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I really don't think children under the age of 10 will kind of get any type of a grasp of this ending. Unless, of course, maybe they're Jehovah's Witness. That's a different story. Uh, they may get the, a grasp of what's going on. So um, I'm looking forward to the next episode a lot for many reasons. It's, it's, it's our 19th film, so we're closer to our milestone 20th movie. Um, it's our first crossover episode. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, there's a, a new web series that's out there on YouTube called The uh, Spooky Bitches of Lubbock. Uh, which is uh, set in Lubbock, Texas, and stars our friend Danae. And cast members uh, from that show, including Danae, are going to be on the show with us to discuss a movie. And what's special about this movie is not only does the trailer make this movie look so bonkers in a fun way, but we're getting a we're getting a repeat director here. Uh, yeah. with, with Bert L. Dragon because he directed uh, <laughs> Summer Camp Nightmare. And so we're going to watch his other directorial effort, Twice Dead, from 1988. If you've not seen the trailer for this thing, oh my god, look the trailer up. This thing looks phenomenally fun. I know that Andy's been drooling oh god, yeah. to get his hands on this film. So my, my favorite thing about us doing this film is this is the first in 20 episodes, and it took us roughly 20 episodes to decide that we were going to decide what a cult movie is yes we said this is a cult movie we've decided it's a cult movie and we are going to call it one and do a podcast about it yes. and everybody's like what is this movie yeah I'm like shut up we said it is yeah we said it's a cult movie and then the people who from from the show who are going to be on the episode with us watched the trailer and said oh god we need to watch this movie now and everybody <laughs> was like why are we waiting yeah <laughs> so That'll be um, that'll be our Halloween episode too, and it looks like this movie looked like one of those films that you would watch with your friends when you're drunk off your ass on Halloween night, and the trick or treaters are coming up to your door, and you're just having a bad movie marathon and just laughing your asses off. The trailer has that vibe to it, and it, the film better not let us down on that. Well, if his last uh, directorial uh, outing that we did has any indication on what we're going to get out of this one, <laughs> I think we'll be fine. Yeah, I think we'll I be think fine. We'll be okay. Speaking of which, I have a message from Samantha about that nice. episode. Uh, she contacted us, absolutely loved the episode. She totally agrees with us. Yeah, the film was, was batshit crazy. And she realized that after making the film, I mean, even reading the script, she was like, wait, you want what to happen? And <laughs> she acknowledged that for the longest time, she disavowed the movie. But then when she started hearing how it's developed a, a cult following over the years and how people have had fun with the movie, she'll now embrace the film and everything. But she loved our take on the film. And um, she's actually trying to talk um, uh uh, not Anchor Bay, but uh, Shop Factory. She's actually trying to talk to the people at Shop Factory to get the movie released on Blu-ray. 
So um, she doesn't know where that's going to go from there, but she does want a proper release of the film. So let's hope it actually makes the jump from VHS to Blu-ray DVD one day, and we can get a copy of this available, more available for people to see. Absolutely, 100%. That would be awesome. Yeah. All righty. Well, we're going to uh, break away from the event horizon here now. and uh, <laughs> I'm going to go have, make robot sex with Maximilian Schnell. <laughs> uh, again, you can find us on Facebook under uh, Cult uh, Cinema Catacombs, and you can also find us on Twitter under These Films Exist. We'll see you next time for Movie 19, Twice Dead, with the spooky bitches of Lubbock. Talk to you later. <laughs>